song when I was, quite frankly, not joyful. Pretty much in a pit. And I was riding in the car, and I was just getting sucked deeper and deeper and deeper into the pit. And I just kind of remembered that verse that David had written, and I started talking to my spirit. And I started talking to the Holy Spirit. And I started saying, God, you have got to remind me about the joy that you, only you can give. And so I wrote that song in the car, pretty much most of it in the car. God speaks to me in the car. I don't know what it is. There's a couple on here that all of these are original. I brought, I had to do, a, I need to do a little commercial at the beginning so I could just get into the word. But I bring them, uh, if it can be a blessing to you, then that's good. This, this album came out of a, a, tar, a tough time and, and God just pulled me through and you can just see it weaving through every song. As a missionary, my thinking, besides if it can be a blessing to you, my thinking is, Sell two CDs, got a tank of gas. So, hey, either way that works for you. You want to put gas in my car, you want a blessing. Uh, I have a, a few of them out there uh, at, at my table. Also on my table is a prayer card. I want you to pick one of these up and uh, pray for me. Put it wherever it is. You have your quiet time, your, your Bible study, and I need your prayer. And you're going to hear a little bit more about my story this morning. And there's also a, um, just an index card that um, if you put your name and your email address on, I'll add you to my email list. Now, I don't bombard your inbox. I hate it when people do that to me. So I don't do it to anybody else. So I basically send out between 10 and 12 newsletters a year. And it just tells you what's going on with me in the ministry, what I'm believing God for, how you can pray for us, and... Um, uh, as well as testimonies about what God is doing, because there's some pretty miraculous stuff going on. Now, it is a honor to be invited to preach here at Momentum. And so I told the first service, though, what's up with him asking me to preach on a day where he took half the people with him? I'm trying not to be offended by that, but okay, whatever. Uh, so it is a joy, and it is an honor to get to share here at, at my at my home church. Now, while I'm talking in the beginning here a little bit, you're going to see some pictures on the screen. I just thought if you could put, um, you know, a, a face with some of the things that I'm talking about. Today, 10 million seniors woke up, and they are not sure if they have enough food to eat. They're hungry, and um, the average senior citizen only qualifies for $16 a month in food stamps. Did you know that? That's not a whole lot. I have a, um, one of the things that you can do to be a blessing is to, when you're in a grocery store, pick up Kroger card, Publix cards, 10 or $15 and, and give them to me, send them to me so I can give them to seniors that are hungry. I told the first service, there was a couple of weeks ago, a lady pulled me to the side after, after our uh, Bible study and she was like, can you just kind of motion that she wanted me to wait and she was embarrassed, she didn't want the other people to hear, but she said, I need you to pray for me and she started to cry. She said, I don't have any food in my apartment. Immediately, I began to panic because I'm thinking, I know that I don't have any money in my wallet. <laughs> what am I going to do? What just so happened, it was my birthday week. And as I'm asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, what am I going to do? How can I help this precious little lady? He called my attention to the fact that out of the corner of my eye, I'd seen another senior put a, a card in my briefcase. It was my birthday. So I said, you know what? Hold on a minute went over to my briefcase and I opened up that birthday card and sure enough it was a $20 bill in there I pulled it out and I said this isn't for me 
this is for you because God knew you were going to need this today. And I gave that to her. And so after that, the Lord put it on my heart to ask people to give me cards that I could have, grocery cards, Kroger, Publix, whatever, Walmart, to keep in my briefcase so that when these situations come up, I can say, God's already prepared for you. Go get you some food that you need. And they don't need a whole lot. There are over 3 million seniors, as a matter of fact, almost four of them that are considered homebound. They don't go anywhere. And there's 6 million that suffer from depression. Over 6 million suffer from depression. A third of them are not able to go anywhere simply because of, of illness. If you were born in the year 1900, your average life expectancy was only 50 years old. Today, we're living well past 75 years old. As a matter of fact, the United States and the church, I dare say, are not prepared for what the next 25 to 30 years are going to bring us in the way of senior citizens. They don't, we don't have a clue. Matter of fact, one in five will be 65 and up in about the next 30 years. And the biggest, they're telling us, probably 18 million Americans will be 85 and up. We're living longer than ever. And here's the thing, that the seniors, the statistic that, and I could give you statistics, but if you're like me, my eyes start rolling back in my head after a few minutes of statistics. But the one that got me was that right now, they make up 13% of our population, but 20% of our suicide rate. As a matter of fact, it's the largest demographic suicide rate is senior citizens. Number one, uh, not number one, but in the top ten causes of death is alcohol. I was stunned. I was stunned to find that out. You saw one of the pictures going by was a basket. Uh, uh, had some things in it. I have a sample basket out on my table. What do I do with that? I go into senior high-rise facilities every week. I have three that I'm in every week, and I have a fourth one that I'm in on occasion when they need me or when the city lets me go. That one is city-run. Because of privacy laws, they won't tell me when seniors move in. I can't go door-to-door. -door, I'm not allowed to. The only thing they'll do is put a blip on the calendar that says that I'm having Bible study what day and what time I'm there. So when I was trying to work around that one day, because I just happened, happened to meet a lady who had got moved in there, moved out of the only home she'd ever known. And then in her 80s, her daughter got married late in life. She had her daughter late in life. Her daughter got married late in life. Suddenly, there was, she needed to go be with her new husband, and her 80-year-old mother had to go live in, to, in the, um, this high-rise facility, this apartment complex. So she was extremely, extremely distraught at the difference and lonely and alone. And so when, after I had met her and talked to her, her name is Mrs. Greencob, precious lady, I started praying and asking the Lord to give me a way to, to meet these people. So, the Lord sent me to the Dollar Tree. Bet you never thought the Holy Spirit moves in the Dollar Tree, but he does. And I put together that basket. It costs $10 to make that basket, and people make them and give them to me to give away, or they give me $10 and say, I want to sponsor a basket. And so I take that little basket of things they might need if they're moving into apartments, and I stick an invitation in there, my name, my phone number, the day and the time that I'm there. And, it's a, and I say, I'd like to personally invite you to come to Bible study. Now, I'm working right now with the Assemblies of God, like for the lost, to be able to get these little booklets that have the gospel in a really concise way that were written by uh, Billy Graham. And I'm on the 
list waiting to get approved for that. I want to get those in there too. In case they never do come, maybe they'll at least have the gospel, you know, because they'll get it um, in their basket. And so these facilities that I'm in, not nursing home, okay, not assisted living, just you got to be 60 and up to live there. Some of them are government subsidized, some of them aren't. The point is, where I am is in the inner city of Atlanta. I want to tell you about Mr. and Mrs. Brown. They live in the M, uh, MLK high-rise. You can literally throw a rock and hit the state capitol. The majority of the people that live there did grow up in the projects, the inner city of Atlanta. Uh, not all of them, but a lot of them depended on public transportation their whole life. And now that they're at this um, age and state of their bodies, they no longer can, you know, hop on the bus and or, or take the, the train, the MARTA train or whatever anymore. So what happens to them? They're still well able to take care of themselves. Mr. and Mrs. Brown are in their late 80s. I'm not sure how old he is. She's 87. She takes care of Mr. Brown day in and day out there in that apartment. But she's overwhelmed. She's alone in that. She's lonely. Do you know what? She's my most faithful Bible study attender in that group. As a matter of fact, 87-year-old Mrs. Brown, after taking care of Mr. Brown in the morning and making sure everything is good, will pick up her telephone and start making some phone calls. And she's so sweet. Y'all come to Bible study today? She reminds them. And all she has to do, because she's on the first floor, is just walk down to the common room and her pastor meets her. That's what God has sent me. Miss um, Mother Teresa once said, it's not cancer, it's not tuberculosis, it's not AIDS. These are not the greatest tragedies. These are not the greatest disease. It is that feeling of being discarded, unwanted, forgotten. This is where God has sent me to look them in the face to hold their hands and pray for them and say to them, you are not forgotten. You're not forgotten by me and you're certainly not forgotten by God. Just a couple of months ago, a lady lay on the floor at one of my places for three days dead before anybody even knew she had died. She has ten children in the immediate Atlanta area. I don't even know how many grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Am I blaming her family? Absolutely not. The day and age that we live in, the fast pace, we're trying to take care of our own kids and our kids are trying to take care of their kids and we're trying to make sure we have a food to eat and a place to And somewhere along the line, it's been a few days when somebody said, I haven't talked to mom. Have you talked to mom? Dude, now that I've been working, I talk to my mom a lot more. <laughs> and I have that same conversation with my brothers. If I can't get her on the phone now, it's like, when was the last time you talked to mom? <laughs> then I go to the next brother. Do you talk to mom? Now, most of the time, mom left her phone in the other room, and she can't hear it. We'll be trying for three days, you know, panicked. I'll be calling neighbors. I just left it in the other room. I'm so sorry. Thanks, mom. You just took five years off our lives. Because <laughs> we've all been panicking, you know, because she lives alone in Florida, and we all live hours away from her. She's not alone. We have to let her know she's not alone. This is what God has called me to do. This is, I am their pastor. I'm a U.S. missionary. 
and I am their pastor. I'm so thankful that Momentum Church is one of the people that has decided to partner with me. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're so, so grateful. Oh, you are so good to me. You're so good to every one of us in this room. And today we just honor you. We just praise you. We ask God that you would uh, anoint me. I know your word is anointed, so I ask that you anoint me. Set a guard around my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. May I only say those things that are pleasing in your sight. And I pray that people here will have an open heart to what it is the Spirit of God is trying to speak to them about today. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 6, and I'm not going to preach forever. I'm going to talk fast and read fast. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 is where we're going to start. Starting in verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. They went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. They said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to all of them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And then if you skip over down to verse uh, 52, he says they did not understand about the lows. Their hearts were hardened. The first thing I love about this story is that the disciples had been sent out to do some ministry. And now they're coming back to Jesus. And as they're coming back, he sees them. No. He sees them. He sees that they're tired. He sees that they're hungry. He sees immediately. Now, he's got a few things going on. First of all, he's always surrounded by people. People are pressing on him. He's, uh, he has to have on his mind what is just right around the corner from him, which is some type of horrible death that we cannot even imagine. But everything going on, he sees. I don't know about you, but as a mom, sometimes when kids or grandkids are going crazy, it's really hard for me to just focus in on one thing. But Jesus, is, he's tuned in. He's tuned into who they are. He's tuned into what's going on around him, and I love him for that. And I want to tell somebody in here that it's okay to rest. He saw they needed rest. If you're like me and you've spent your life trying to be good enough, because if you're good enough, maybe somebody will love you or like you. Or, so you work harder and you do more. and Trying to make yourself valuable. 
took me three years of therapy with a Holy Ghost Spirit-filled Christian counselor to get rid of that. And we still go back into it. We still put our worth on what we can do. I can't rest if somebody else is working. I got to, you know, I got I to get up. I got to do something. No. Sometimes you need to rest. Jesus saw that. And I love that. The very first thing. It's okay to rest. But notice what happens when it starts to get late. In verse 35, he says, It grew late. His disciples came to him, saying, This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside, villages to buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. How did the disciples see the crowd? As a burden. Send them away. Oh, my goodness. You know? It's all miss. A burden. They didn't have time for them. One time I was at a, oh, I can't taste too many rabbits because of time's sake. But one time I was a minister's gathering several years ago. And there was this little buzz phrase going around called low maintenance congregations. The gist of it is there were some pastors who didn't want to be bothered with the people. They didn't have time to deal with certain issues. They didn't want to be bothered. Man, a knife went right through my heart. I thought, that's, that's really sad. You don't understand the heart of Jesus. Jesus is people. Everything is about the people. He sees the people. So the disciples are probably seeing them as a burden, maybe even a hindrance. But notice how Jesus sees. The, the, the preceding verse said he had compassion on them. He's very aware of their needs. He's very aware of what they're going on. He's not just tuned into the disciples. He sees the people. Compassion is this feeling of deep sympathy and, and sorrow for another, but it's accompanied by this strong desire to alleviate that suffering. How do you see people? Do you just feel sorry for someone? It's not enough to feel sorry for someone. We have to have compassion. Compassion is not compassion until you are willing to roll up your sleeves, cross the street, and get involved. Now you have compassion. You're not just feeling sorry for someone. James chapter 2, verse 14 to 17 says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith is not just what you say. Faith is what you do. Faith is what you do. And if you don't do anything with your faith, then your faith can't do anything for you. Verse 43. Look at this. They picked up the broken pieces and there were 12 baskets one for each of them one for each of the disciples what's the significance of that I don't know but it reminds me of me a little bit like a basket case sometimes what are those broken pieces represent Holy Spirit I think it's the brokenness in our lives it's the times that we are hurt the times that we're rejected. It's a lifetime of disappointment, failure, all collected by the master. Oh, but what he can do with those broken pieces, right? 
the greatest challenge of the 21st century church is to let God be God. See, we have solutions for everything. We try to run around and try to fix things. Sometimes you just need to let God be God, right? Jesus, here's something that I love in verse 38. Jesus didn't ask them for something that they didn't have. He, he asked them what they did have, and he said, go and see. Because they didn't know what they had. Because you never know what you have until you go and see. God moves on your heart to do something, and you immediately start making excuses. You start taking yourself out of it, talking yourself out of it. Let's just say if we were if we were in some type of capital campaign building program or whatever, and Pastor Ross presented the vision, and he presented it in such a way, we are all weeping and crying and snotting, and yeah, that's what we need to do. And then he says, ask the Holy Spirit what you should give. And let's say the Holy Spirit told you to give something, and then immediately you go, oh, but I can't do that. I can't afford that. We start talking ourselves out of it. We start going, well, if I had it. You know, I, but I, I mean, you've come on, Lord, you, you've seen the end of the month, and, and there's just not enough to go around. A few weeks ago, actually, it's been a few months now, I was invited, vo, invited to the Ladies' Light for the Lost Banquet. Assembly of God ladies all across the state, certain churches have women's groups, and they all come together, and we give towards certain mission projects for certain missionaries. And so I was at one of their breakfasts where they challenged the ladies, you know, what can you do, what can you give, and they had invited me to come. I wasn't speaking, they just wanted me to come and, and, and bless me, and so I went. And so sitting at the table, they have all these, you know, things that they want people to take home, and there's this little card, and I looked down, and I saw, and, and it's, it's examples. They're trying to show people how feasible it is to give to missions. Because immediately people go, oh, no, you know, I can't, I don't have any more room in my budget. When my tithe comes to pay, and I'm pretty much done. And so I look at this card, and, and right in the middle, my eye goes to $5 a week. Now I have a little confession to make this morning. I'm a Starbucksaholic. I quite possibly may need deliverance. Doesn't matter what diet I'm on, there's a Starbucks that I can have. I will work it out. Right now, I'm not doing my beloved lattes anymore because I'm doing the keto diet. So I have changed from my lattes, which are close to $5 a week. And I, you know, and think about the people that get these every day $5 drink every single day, right? So now I've switched to a cold brew with this like heavy whipping cream and, you know, it's only $3. So I'm feeling a little bit more holy, <clears throat> a little more righteous. But no, I look down and I'm thinking about there are friends of mine which are not missionaries and money is not an option. They don't even think about plucking down $5 every day, sometimes twice a day for a Starbucks coffee. And so I looked here and said, you mean if, if I gave up one Starbucks a week in a year. I would have given $260 to missions all by myself. and I don't even feel that. But yet if, if, if someone would have said to me, can you make a $260 pledge next year? I would have went, are you crazy? I don't have $260. But $5 a week. See, we don't know what we have until we go and see. We just start talking ourselves out of it. Now, I want to give you an example, uh, and more of a spiritual one and not so much a financial one. About four or five years ago, my life drastically changed, and I don't have time to tell you that story. 
But the part I will tell you is that the ministry that I had been a co-pastor of for 25 years had to close its doors, and I was devastated. And my life was totally turned upside down, and everything that was just gone in an instant. And I was sitting in my bedroom seeking God and praying and saying, Lord, I am 50 years old. You called me to the ministry when I was small. And regardless of the fact that all of this that has happened, and regardless of the fact that today I'm sitting in my room utterly alone, never thinking I would be here at this stage in my life, alone. And I know that the call of God has not changed on my life. So I started praying. I don't know what you have for me in this season, but open the door and I'll walk through it. I was sitting in my room one day doing my devotions, and the phone rang, and it was one of my precious ladies from the inner city, and she's like, Pastor, she's crying. Pastor Teresa, I need my pastor. I need you. Can you come teach Bible study? I said, sweet love, I can't, I can't come right now. And she had lived in the inner city her whole life, and then when Atlanta got rid of all the inner city projects, she was one of the ones that got placed into a senior high-rise apartment facility she said I need you and these people need Jesus I said I, I, I can't hung up the phone went back to pray and Lord just opened the door a month later she calls me back Pastor Teresa I need my pastor can you just come and teach us a little bit of word just a, it won't take too much of your time I said honey I can't just walk into a private facility and start preaching there's rules. There's things, you know, I can't do it. I said, I'm sorry. I love you. Uh, maybe I can come and see you. Hung up the phone. Lord, just open the door. What is it do you want me to do, God? The very next time she called, she said, Pastor Teresa, this is Sister Robbie. The lady's name is Jennifer, and here's her phone number. She's expecting your call. Okay, Lord, you didn't just open the door. You shoved me through it. See, I had excuses immediately. God puts things in our heart. He says things to us. And we start putting all these excuses of why we can't do it. I went and had a meeting with that lady. Her name was Jennifer. She says, Reverend Rolls, what are you trying to do? I said, I'm trying to have Bible study. And I, I would like permission to come in once a week and teach Bible at Blackshire. She said, normally we don't do that. But Miss Robbie's blowing up my phone. That's kind of how I got started in there. You see, while things are still possible, we don't need God. See, we, we've got to learn to let God be God and let him do what he's going to do. John tells us it was a little boy that had those loaves and fish. You know, it's just like God to do what he's going to do through the places that we least expect it. If I was a disciple... I'm going through those 5,000, and I'm looking for Daddy Warbucks. Who has deep pockets? Who can help me out here? The last person I'm looking for is a kid. As a matter of fact, I've been in ministry a long time, y'all. Can you get them kids off the platform? Can you get them kids off the drums? Can you get them kids to put the guitar? I would have been the disciple going, could you get these kids out of here? Can somebody, like... Put a ball on that hill and let them. We, you know, we have the master, he needs us. And we're on a very important assignment. And there's just kids everywhere. Right? We wouldn't have been looking for God to do a miracle through a child. 
Because what do we do? <laughs> we curse our not enough. Dadgummit, if I just, you know, if only been, yeah. We curse our not enough instead of giving it to God, presenting it to him to see what he will do with it. To see what he can do. Christine Kane is one of my favorite female preachers. And if you haven't heard her, you should look her up. Powerful. She says this. She says, impossible is where God starts. And miracles are what God does. You didn't hear me. Impossible is where God starts. And miracles are what God does. The disciples are freaking out, but guess what? They don't know what Jesus knows, which is that the ingredients for a miracle is already in their midst. Yes. Did you get that? Because some of you don't realize that the ingredients for your miracle is already in your midst. They didn't get that. I told the first service, and hopefully I haven't said it already. These two services run together in my brain, but when that former ministry was in operation, we needed 40 to 50 grand a month to survive, fleet of buses, huge homeless ministry, feeding thousands every week. And I remember early on, and it just wasn't happening, and I had my hand, my head in my hands and sitting in my office, and most of those papers came across my desk, and I said yes and no and pay and don't pay, and and, and I'm sitting there holding my, my head in my hands and my dad walked in. And he just put a little card on my desk and walked out. I look over at the card and it just said, do your best. Let God do the rest. He, he never asks us for what we don't have. He told the disciples, go and see what they had. And then he took what they had, which to us would be significant. I would have looked at that lunch and said, you've got to be kidding me. Get that out of here. Look, I'm serious. We need some serious food, y'all. I mean, would you not? Maybe I'm the only one. We don't have to do it all. We have to do our part. What keeps us from doing our part? Fear and doubt. We have so much aborted seed because we devalue that seed. In other words, we take something that God has given us, but it seems insignificant, it seems small, and so we don't value it. So we just cast it out aside. We cast it aside. What is holding you back? I, I would guess it's fear. And as I'm closing, bringing this plane in for a landing... When I speak to young people, and I'm just going to talk right here because I just see y'all. When I speak to young people at youth services or camps or whatever all over the place, and I love to tell you that if you can dream it, you can do it. Because those dreams, those visions come from God. See, the enemy, he only wants to kill, to steal, and destroy. But every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, comes from the Father. And so when I talk to young people one-on-one -on -one about their dreams, and they'll say to me, uh, you know, well, you know, that's just me thinking. And I go, don't flatter yourself. 
You ain't that smart. God gave you that. And guess what? If he gave you that dream, he's already given you everything you need to see it become a reality. You know what he's waiting on? You to say you'll do it. You to work hard. You to try. You to get off of your fanny every time you fall on it and try again. Every time you make a mistake to start over. And then when I speak to these older precious adults that have just stopped, I say to them, the name of my ministry is RED. Yes, I love the color RED, but it's an acronym. It stands for Redeeming Every Dream. God wants to redeem every dream, even the ones that some of us that are a little older in life have pushed to the side because we thought it was too late or it was too impossible or we weren't good enough or talented enough or pretty enough or skinny enough. And if God has given us these dreams, listen, we don't get to just check out a life until we are one day with Him, right? The Bible doesn't talk about anybody sitting around just witnessing until they're in heaven. Until then, the Bible is full of of advancing the terminology. Let us go, let us run, let us stand, let us fight, right? There's no just sitting. You don't just quit. Don't give up on your dreams. Don't let fear rob you from what God has called you to do. My question to you is, what are you going to do with that? What are you waiting on to get involved in ministries of compassion? What fear is holding you back? Jesus sees you. He sees you. He sees you in that place that you don't let anybody else see. He sees you. He saw you in that dark place when you were hurt and abused. He sees you in your dreams and all of the things that you think wouldn't it be great if He sees you. leave a service without giving people an opportunity to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior so my question to you today is do you need to come to Christ is there someone in this room that needs to make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life for the first time or maybe you were saying a prayer one time a long time ago but you haven't lived for God you turned your back on God and you just kind of ended up here in church today If you're in this room and you need to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life for the first time or you need to come back to him, will you raise your hand? Anybody? Okay. You know for sure if you were to die tonight and stand before Jesus in the morning and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my kingdom? You know what to say? You feel good about it. and sisters in the Lord and 
you just need to ask yourself, what is it that God has? What is he speaking to your heart about? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for your words. God, I thank you that you see me. I thank you for the challenge that you gave to us to go and see what it is that you are asking us to do. Lord, you don't ever ask us for something that you don't provide. You're not asking us for something we don't have. You're just asking us to be aware of what we have. I just rebuke fear in the name of Jesus, and I just... I command it to loose its hold. There's someone in this room that has such a heart and a desire to do things for God, but is constantly being talked out of it because of fear. So I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. You have no place here. And God, I just plead the blood of Jesus over every person in this place. And I thank you. I thank you that they will all, each and every one, go and see they will have a conversation with you about what it is that you have for them to do. And we just give you all the praise and the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.